Welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. Now, last week, we discussed with Judith and Jim about Whitney Houston and what held her back. Now, I know that may sound kind of funny. You're like, held her back. She had a fantastic international career. Uh, Her music career was pretty much second to none. But I'm talking about her personal life. You know, you can you can have an incredible career, and she did. She had an incredible career, incredible voice. I mean, we're we're never going to forget her voice. As far as I'm concerned, you can have an incredible career, but your personal life is just as important. And she did not have a super successful personal life. She had a lot of a lot of problems in her personal life. It was definitely cut short. She should have lived to be much older than she did. Her daughter had had a very, very traumatic ending. There were a lot of issues when she was alive, and we all saw it play out in, in the news and the scandal magazines and all that sort of thing. And we talked about it a lot in the show last week. We also talked about how it, it it's not just a celebrity thing. Any one of us can have very similar problems and have issues in our personal life for the same sorts of reasons, Um, the same sorts of core reasons can cause these problems. And and I like the name that, that Judith and Jim give it, the fear of being fabulous. You know, there are... Issues that cause us to hold ourselves back from various successes, various successes in our personal life, our business lives, our relationships, our friendship, all sorts of situations. That's what I want to deal with. I wanted us to to have the story of Whitney and then to pursue it more on a personal level because uh, her her story gives it to us on a, a much grander level but I think it makes the point very well and then to look at it on our level and just say you know this this can happen to anybody anybody can have this very same thing happen to them and what can we do to avoid the same sorts of pits, pitfalls and stumbling blocks and things that can get in our way and cause us not to be as successful and as happy and, and, and have the life that we deserve and that might be right in front of us 
but we're the one putting up the blocks and we may not even realize it you know there there can be things subconsciously that are stopping us that we just don't realize so what's causing you and that's a fear or a block to your potential to be as fabulous as you possibly can let's take a listen and I'm going to share my second conversation with Judith and Jim and help you see how we can get those blocks and those problems out of the way and help each and every one of us be as fabulous as possible. So Judith and Jim, how are y'all doing? And would you like to tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself? Yes, hi, Nikki. Hello, Nikki. Nikki, we have, and for your listeners, Judith and I have been together for 30 years, and uh, we met in, in a long, uh, a blind date, a three-hour blind date, and discovered much that we had in common, and it wasn't there long thereafter that we did our first workshop with some folks. Back then, we were dealing with things like uh, dating and marriage counseling, We uh, and out of all of that, not only came programs that we're working on, but came the relationships that we've uh, put together for 30 years. We are we are delightfully happy together. We are, you know, we have our squabbles every now and then, but that has decreased considerably, and when I say considerably, down to about zero, and we are best friends. Truly, I would rather be around hang out with Judith than anyone else. And in terms of the fear of being fabulous, that idea is, I have to, I always credit Judith, that idea and that phrasing is hers. She came up with it after having done private therapy for years and seeing it over and over and over again. And I've done therapy as well uh, private with private clients, and I've seen it over and over again. And as it applies to our marriage, Judith and I, Judith didn't get married until she was 44 for the first time to me. I had two marriages behind me. And we were children of the 60s, and so as a consequence, there was a lot of stuff that we brought with us into this relationship that we had to overcome. But the, in terms of the fear of being fabulous, it really was more of a concern with intimacy in our case, not sexual intimacy, spiritual and emotional intimacy, that we had to learn how to do better. On that blind date... Jim and I spent an hour at least. We were together three hours, and it was really a good beginning of getting to know each other. But we spent at least one hour, Nikki and everybody, talking about you were a professional actor and you walked away too. Why did you walk away? Literally starting to pin down that something, even though both of us had already been in therapy ourselves as the client, we hadn't ever been able to pin down why we left our acting careers, and it came down to the fear of being fabulous. So that's on the table as well. Interesting. So, so you two discovered that you had this issue going on, and by digging into it, you can help other people get rid of it. We've now made a career out of um, helping people. Yes, what we saw then in ourselves was the myth what we saw was the mystery of what we had done and not knowing what we did although justifying it perfectly 
Judith said, and I'll add a little more detail. We were both professional actors. Judith was born and raised in Hollywood or in um, uh, Los Angeles. And she did shows that many, maybe even some of your younger listeners won't remember. Ozzie and Harriet and My Three Sons. And what was the one you jumped out of a cake? Oh, well, I Dream of Jeannie did that a couple of times. And one of them, I was in a bikini and I jumped out of the birthday cake at one of those big parties. And I did stage work. I was on stage for, I did about 85 different shows across the time I was doing stage work. And then I got to L.A., and I did uh, Rockford Files and St. Elsewhere and Movie of the Week and that sort of thing. That was all before we met. But when we met, we weren't doing that anymore. And so the conversation at that first blind date was, why not? And neither one of us could really come up with a clear answer as to why not. We had really good stories. They sounded really credible. But neither one of us could, have pin, could pin it down. And in a very real way, Nikki, we made a contract with ourselves, although not, none of this was ever spoken, that we were going to get beyond this if this relationship continued, and it has. What we have seen is people, and now we, to, just to let you know, now we work as executive coaches at LinkedIn.com, as well as we, have, we work for various CEOs as executive coaches around the country and internationally. And what we see is all of us, at some point, run into a wall, and we don't know how we got there, and we don't know what's stopping us. We don't know what's holding back. All we know is that we're feeling frustrated, we're feeling anxious, angry, perhaps even enraged that we cannot move forward. And it was out of that initial conversation on that blind date that we began the exploration of why we left the show business. And both of us, by the way, were having really good careers, paying, being paid very nicely for what we did, and we walked away. What was that all about? And it turned out that the, the phrase, the fear of being fabulous, was really at the root of it. Let me give you an anecdote. I did a pilot back in those days that never made it on the air, but I was cast in a pilot, TV pilot. And my agent, in order to celebrate, in order to celebrate, took me to what was then known, it's gone now, but it was a restaurant known as the Brown Derby. It was a very, very famous Hollywood restaurant. And he took me in to celebrate, and there were pictures all around, all over the walls of this, you know, Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall, and names from, from the 30s, not 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, big, big names, Marlon Brando. And I felt so massively out of place and uncomfortable, I would rather have been at McDonald's. And, and the point was, I, but I didn't know really what was going on. Right. What I was experiencing was the fear of moving into a more profound, more fruitful, more adventurous, a larger, larger life sitting there in the Brown Derby, and I couldn't take it. And so I backed away. That, in a nutshell, is what we mean by the f overcoming the fear of being fabulous. When you've got something coming that you can take if you just go, just take it, it's being almost with being given to me, and right. I couldn't do it because there were unconscious content 
for me and for Judith that prohibited us from going forward. And that's what we mean by overcoming the fear of being fabulous. You know, and, and so many of us face that kind of thing, maybe not to that degree, but face, you know, whether it's a, a job promotion or right. or new new a new set of friends. I, I know I've I've got some really incredible business stuff coming up that just the, the scope of the experience and, and uh contact list of the people that, that I'm working with just blows my mind, <laughs> you know, ah. but, but I'm like, but you know what, I am good enough to be part of this, you know, I am going to work with these people, and I'm going to learn what they do, and I'm going to have a blast doing it, <laughs> you know, and, so. And that's wonderful to hear, Nikki, that you have authorized yourself, and I, I really want to underscore that term, you have authorized yourself, you're being the author of this new Nikki who is going to have as your business associates these much larger uh, people in the world. And congratulations. Nikki, I want to make a point here. You said you know you have the ability to do it. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about has very little to do with the ability to do something. What we're talking about is do you have internal permission to actually make this big move. Because if you don't, your ability doesn't really matter. Judith and I were both very successful as actors. I was getting a lot of praise. Uh, if you remember the, the television show Rockford Files, I was called back to that three times. I did, I did four shows for Rockford Files. Then the, the, the last three times, they didn't even want an audition. They just said, come in and do this, do that. All I had to do was stay in the business, and I would have been very successful, perhaps even a movie star. However, I did not have internal permission to take it and go for it. So I just want to make that distinction. It doesn't have to do with your ability or your skill. It has to do with how your psyche is set up, and do you have the internal permission to move forward? I, actually, that's going to apply to most people. Let me, let me explain why I said ability. It's because if, if I don't feel I can do it, I will not give myself permission. Of course. I, my knowing I have the ability is a huge step toward me move, making a step forward and, and actually moving in, in a more positive direction. And, and again, Nikki, congratulations, because that takes inner work also to know that you have the ability. Unfortunately for so many people, and that's been true for Jim and me as, as we share with everybody, you know, what happened to us back when we were acting, is we had the ability, we are proven over and over because we kept being hired back over and over, but we didn't have, coming out of our families, and I want to stress that while Jim and I are going to mention families and culture and sometimes religion, we're not being critical. We're simply wanting people to become more aware of the influence in early, early years growing up in your families, in your culture, in your religion, perhaps there were messages to play yourself down. Um, some people grow up with messages like, who do you think you are? And Jim and I grew up in families where it wasn't that there were negative messages. It was that both of our fathers were high school dropouts. They were laborers. Um, there was nothing in our family upbringing that... Uh, produced any sense of ambition or even aspirations for a career. So when Jim and I were working as actors, we didn't know each other then. We were just working. We were just making a paycheck because that's what we'd grown up 
experiencing and witnessing with our dads. And Nikki, in 1967, uh, I had graduated from college where I'd gone to UCLA to find a husband because my parents had raised me to get married. Um, I was an English major because I loved to read. Um, and I did not find that husband, but I was flown back to New York to do a Dove soap commercial in my senior year and fell madly in love with New York City and so moved back after college and continued to do largely commercials at that point, industrial, some acting, um, all, the, all of it's acting. But, and in 1967, made $50,000, which today I understand is the equivalent of about a quarter of a million dollars. No overhead. All of it, cash in the bank. Um, and what did I do, Nikki? And everybody listening, get this. I believed this story totally. I told myself, I have to go back to Los Angeles. I'm not crazy about the New York men, and I need to get married. It's really important that I get married. And I left. I walked away from acting. I did a few more jobs when I got back to L.A., but... It didn't matter. I wasn't building a career. I wasn't being ambitious at all. And um, I had to then face into what on earth am I going to do with my life? That, that actually doesn't surprise me. And, and women aren't supposed to be ambitious. You well, know? that's it, too. That's it. <laughs> it's, well, in, in family, culture, and religion was something I wanted to bring up because all of those played a very large part in my life over the last 30 years as far as what I should do, what I shouldn't do, what I should, you know, whether I should, I should go after something I want or not, and the whole you have to get married thing, you know, which I still haven't fallen for that yet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? The right person, I will. It just hasn't come along yet. That's, see, that's it. I, I, I required Jim to come along when I was 43, uh, met him on a blind date, and until then, nobody else qualified. Right, you know, I, I had a... Um, meme that I posted on Facebook the other day that says, I'm single and I plan to stay that way unless you're incredible. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to share it with you. <laughs> so I, I know it, it's kind of a fallback for people if they go to therapy and they're like, oh, well, we have to talk about your mother or we have to talk about your father. But in reality, family and the influence from family and their expectations and culture and the cultural expectations, that plays a very large part in our lives. And it's hard to get yourself past that if you're out of the norm, which I am. <laughs> I have no issues with that. Well, but other people, they, they, like my family, have different expectations. And even though I've exceeded a lot of what they should have wanted me to accomplish, I still haven't done certain things that they think I should, which makes me not as... Um, approved by them as I might want to be. You know, you have to decide that you just don't care and, you know, it's not that big a deal. But that's that's a whole lot easier said than done. Well, isn't that the truth? You have to, but you've said it very clearly, you have to get to the point where you don't care whether family approves of the ways that you are leaving behind their expectations, leaving behind their lifestyle perhaps, and one of the reasons that we wrote our book, What Really Killed Whitney Houston, was that we knew when she died that when we did the research about her life, we would be able to use her life story 
to help readers understand how it was that she could not live the life of being the superstar she became. She was the largest award-winning female singer in the world. She made, and, and at one point was worth, $240 million. That's crazy. <laughs> but when you see the research on, that we did on her life, and um, see how loyal she remained to her mother primarily, and I, you know, I, with respect, her mother's still alive, but they, her parents did not want to let go of her, and for instance, this is just a, a small example, she wins her first Grammy Award, she's still young and beautiful and gorgeous and spectacular, and the videos that are online, and people can go and check them out online, is the father, who was still alive at that point, says, oh, well, you know, when it gets tough, she's going to come running back. Now, his daughter's winning the Grammy Award that night. Yes. The mother says, you know, I just will never forget what it was like when, and I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, when Whitney was my little baby and she was in pigtails, and, in fact, she's always going to be my little baby. Yeah. So both parents are saying, we're not letting go of you. You're not really allowed to become a grown-up in your own right. You're not really expected by us to go out in the world and go go achieve your life dreams on your terms. And so sure enough, she surrounded herself with family her whole life who were all on the dole in terms of her money. And, um, you know, some people say it's Bobby Brown's fault, but Bobby Brown was just sort of a a player in in, uh, her script. Um, But it's, it's a... It's a short book. Anybody who's interested can just go to whatreallykilledwhitneyhouston.com and uh, get the book and, and have that as an example of how the fear of being fabulous can work in somebody's life who becomes even as famous as Whitney Houston. You know, I was just thinking, so many parents try to live vicariously through their children or they try to keep them at home or they, they don't want them to be independent. Which, I mean, a part of a parent, to me, is raising your child to be independent and to be a responsible adult. But it well, seems like that, that's not a you know, universal thought there. I was going to say, Nikki, that's a theory. Oh, okay. Okay, for the most part, that does not happen. And I don't blame parents because nobody raised them to be independent adults on their own. All of that stuff is learned. And it has to be learned by going out into the world because for the most part, families keep their infants and their children close, close by. And that's not a theoretical statement. That is a statement that I'm making as a fact across all levels of society, high and low, rich and poor. It doesn't matter. But I want to make a point here, Nikki, in terms of what, how people become caught up and stuck in where they came from. And we have all kinds, of, uh, uh, all kinds of statements that express this in one way or another. For example, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree is another way of saying you never left home. You are still right near and around the tree. What happens 
for all of us, when we come into this world, our brains, the literal gray matter, weighs 25% of what it will weigh when we're an adult. So there's a lot of physical gray matter growing that has to occur. And while that gray matter is growing, we don't have language, and also we don't have the conceptual, intellectual ability to discriminate and make statements like, well, I think my my mother and my father are a little strange, and I'm not going to follow them along those lines. I'm going to choose my own path. What we do is we just take in, in those early years, what it is that's going on around us, and then we end up non-verbally, and this is the tricky part, non-verbally and non-consciously, we end up making unconscious decisions about what life is like. So if I grew up, for example, in southwest Detroit, in a Polish Catholic community that was with Catholicism from like the 10th century Europe, and my people were farm people from Poland. My mother and father were the first generation in the United States, but we were essentially peasants. So when I thought, when I was living back there, I thought of owning my own gas station as the top dream that I was having. And that I was young when I was doing that, but you can see the dream that I could dream was relevant relative to the environment that I was in. Right. When we grow up, that stuff is unconscious in one way or another. And unless you know what you know about this for number one, which we, in the Overcoming the Fear Being Fabulous program, what we do is we help people, first of all, recognize what's ha- recognize this situation, which is not critical of anybody. It's all of us go through it. And then set about to do something so that you can actually create a life that belongs to you and not to those ideas and those loyalties and the things that are forbidden by those loyalties internally so that you can create your life instead of the life that you were born into and the family you were born into. Now, I want to make a point here. You don't have to leave your family, but if this only works or this is only relevant if you are not happy with where you are and you want to change. And that change can go very deep. So part of what we do in Overcoming the Fear of Being Fabulous is show people how they can see those holdbacks that we call them, that which is still gripping them and holding them in place and preventing them from going forward. And, and there was also, for example, if when, you, when one is raised like I was in an environment where money was scarce, and also considered evil because only the rich people had money and, you know, you can't trust them. So that money was considered evil. I had to actually get around to a being allowing money to come into my life because it was good and it was good for me and it was good for what I could do with others, for others with the money. So overcoming the fear of being fabulous has all of those different angles. There are 12 CDs. Uh, And in those CDs, we look at this problem from various angles and help people become aware and help them take the steps to release themselves from these grips that we've been talking about. And I've got um, more information about the program and a link for people that want to see more about that 
on my website. Now, we, we may have totally covered this, but since I've got on my list of questions, I'm going to ask just in case. Did we miss anything we need to explain about how the early years in our life can be so pivotal and can hold us back in so many ways? Because I, I just that's a huge thing with me. Like I said, uh, the majority of the issues that, that I know and I've identified in my own life go back to when, when I was a kid and things right. that, that were drilled in my head. Right, right. I, I think a piece that is important for everyone to understand is what Jim and I call the love grip. Oh. And what we mean by that goes back to what Jim said about when you're a little person and you're not yet discerning, which can't really happen until you're about seven or eight years old, you are completely dependent on the family that is raising you. So you love them. You may not even know the word until you're two or three or four, but these are the people that are feeding you, clothing you, putting you to bed, holding you when you cry. You love them. You don't know that there's anything incorrect about the way they're raising you or anything about the way they live that might be different than what you would like for your life later on. It's the world as you are introduced to it, and you love it. We call it, Jim and I call it the love grip. It has a grip on you in the unconscious until you become aware, as you have, Nikki, to some you know, large degree, and Jim and I have, that we need to set ourselves free from that grip so that we can begin to design our life on our own terms. Right. But for many people, that means they have to, and I'm going to use a very strong word, they have to betray where they came from. Exactly. And you know, and you know for some people they, that means they have to leave the church they were raised in, which is something that their parents find appalling. Yes, and it doesn't do. matter what the church is. Um, it just is the, the, the adult comes to a point where they say, gee, this doesn't work for me anymore. I don't hate my parents. I don't hate the church. I just am not going to follow this anymore. Or it may mean, in, in, uh, for instance, a couple we know, the uh, fellow is Pakistani and the woman is from India. Well, this is a huge move for him to allow himself to fall in love with a woman who is not Pakistani because it betrays how he was raised his entire life is that you must stay with within the culture and you cannot leave that. So it can happen in your romantic life. I mean, think, you know, think back just some decades ago that biracial couples of any biracialness, you know, it didn't matter whether it was oriental and caucasian or uh, oriental and uh, african american or it didn't matter what the biracialness was people were very surprised if not shocked if not horrified right well all of those people on the front end of that awakening and that freedom had to betray whatever parts of their upbringing that said thou shalt never date someone different skin color, 
race, culture than you are. We have to be really respectful that when we allow ourselves to break free of those injunctions to remain just like our family, it's a huge move into freeing ourselves up to be fabulous. You know, I've, I've many, 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 many times on the show said, you know, things about, you know, breaking away from, from the things that your family and, um, and culture and religion expect of you. Oh, and like I said, because I've lived it. And, and you know, I, I always say, you know, it's easy for me to say that, but don't think I'm belittling or ignoring how difficult it is because it is incredibly hard. And, and you're using the word betray is perfect because, I mean, that's very much the way my family sees it. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I'm betraying them by not doing and walking in the exact steps that they think I should. That's so, it. I mean, it's like that for all of us. That's right. You know, now here's the tricky part. Even though your family might be conscious of the need to support your own ambitions when you grow older. I don't think they are, but go ahead. (laughs) Okay, and I understand that. But even, say, your family, not your family, but someone's family is conscious enough to support their ambitions when they get older. What they have to be aware of is all of the psychic structures and beliefs, we, have, we use two words specifically in the Overcoming the Fear of Being Fabulous program. And those words are allegiances, think of that as a loyalty, and yes. forbiddances, that, that which you're forbidden to do. So, for example, if I grow up, as I said, in a Catholic environment, and I am loyal to the Catholic environment, I cannot... I cannot uh, endorse or espouse Judaism or Protestantism or whatever because that's forbidden. That's literally, I was told, a mortal sin under the Catholic way of being. And so we all have it. For example, we, I lived in a very, in very intense Polish. It was Judith called it a ghetto, which I dismissed for many years because I didn't. I thought the word was too strong, because it wasn't an enclosed ghetto like we know happened in Europe during the Second World War. However, it was a psychological ghetto. Let me give you an example. If you were not Polish, people ran you out of the neighborhood. Right. And this was a neighborhood of about 10 blocks, 10 square blocks in southwest Detroit. And I, I participated as a child in making sure there was a Russian couple with their children who moved, who moved in across the alley and down at the end of the block. And we ran them out. We ran them out. Now, I was being loyal to the idea of the prejudice against the Russians by my people. And had I said in those days, wait a minute, they're just people too. We ought to find out who they are and and bring them in and let them live. That would have been forbidden to me. So on the one hand, running them out was an allegiance or part of the loyalty and not defending them was forbidden. Or defending them was forbidden. So as a result, we all have this very rudimentary kind of on-off black-white structures in those early years. And the reason we have them, Nikki, is because we are not sophisticated enough in our, in our mental development and our psychological development to be able 
to have a strong sense of self that can withstand all of the pressure that's coming in, as well as we don't have the brain functioning to make those kinds of distinctions. So if, in fact, a family believes that they should raise their child and support them in their own ambitions as they go out into the world, and if they don't take into consideration what we're talking about in the early part, when, when the children is growing up and absorbing like a sponge everything that's coming in and deciding that, that what is coming in is reality, like you don't let Russians live in your neighborhood, then, the, then even though they support the child going out on their own, there will still be a holdback and there will still be walls that people will run into because of that early programming. Okay. And I want to make one last statement. It's really not, it, it can be programming in the sense of somebody putting something into you. Like, for example, I was a Catholic, so Catholicism was putting stuff into me that they believed was the right way to be under the pain of mortal sin and death and hell. But I, that's, that's literal programming. But the programming doesn't necessarily have to be that somebody puts something into you. It is how the child is going to absorb and, and relate to the world on their own because none of us, you can't ever tell anybody what to believe and do and they take it in. They have to believe it in themselves and they have to accept it. And so programming is one thing, but just simply absorbing life as a growing child is entirely different. And, and uh, Nikki... I, I don't know if we've mentioned this to you in, in the conversations we've had, but Jim wrote a novel uh, inspired by that environment called Worship of Hollow Gods, which is the, based on uh, the true story, but of course a lot of it's fiction. But it's about Jim when he was nine years old, so he's still a young boy, and he's really wanting so desperately to be approved of by his family members, not just parents, but aunts, uncles, uh, cousins. Um, and it's a poignant story of essentially these hollow gods of how family can be worshipped at your detriment, church can be worshipped at your detriment. What's the third? Alcohol. Alcohol plays a big part in the adult's life of a, a god they worshipped to... And, and you know, this is a point make, I think worth making, that so many people are dissatisfied with their lives. They're not allowed to say so right. because of this internal loyalty. So they mute the dissatisfaction by drinking, by drugs, whatever it is, and uh, become addicted as a way to cope with lives that are not satisfactory, but they're not allowed to say that I'm dissatisfied. So we see a lot of adults living lives of frustration, but they don't own it. You know, it's, this, this is why I had you guys back. It's because what, what you're talking about with this falls in line with so many things that are just common themes on here. Because one of the things I, I focus on a lot, too, is, is telling people that, you know, being in a situation where you're not happy isn't somewhere you have to stay. You don't have to right. stay unhappy. There are options. They're not easy, and they're going to take work, and you've got to be ready for it but there are options out there. Yes, yes, yes. And thank goodness you're doing that work and spreading that message because so many people need permission to question, do I really have to continue living like this? And all too often people feel like, yes, I do. I have to take care of 
whatever it may be, my mother, my father, my grandparents, whatever, and they don't, uh, they're not allowed to author them, authorize themselves to leave and create a different lifestyle. So what about people that have gotten a, a, a degree of success? Should they feel that, you know, it, like if I have my own business and it's successful, I'm okay. There's nothing holding me back. I couldn't be any better than I am. We would say no. <laughs> That's not enough. That's what you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and let me give you an example. Everybody listening, please listen to this example. Because as Jim said, we now are executive coaches and leadership trainers. Uh, we're, under, we're on retainer at LinkedIn, but we have other clients as well. One of our clients had achieved considerable success as an engineer, uh, had worked way up, you know, had a very prestigious title, and yet was not quite fulfilling the leadership role that was wanted of him. And he said, in talking with us privately and confidentially, you know, the the weird thing is, he said, "I, I feel like I'm failing all the time. We said, well, you know, when have you failed in your life? He said, well, actually, never. And that's what we anticipated. He was so smart. He was so um, creative and competent. And I thought, okay, let me go digging. This looks like, you know, this goes back to childhood somehow. And I said, well, what's your relationship like with your father? And his face turned dark, and he squirmed, and he said... I've never been able to get his approval. And then he quickly said, but he's never been mean and he's never hit me and he's never been, you know, and he just quickly wanted to cover all that over. And I said, well, why hasn't your dad been able to approve of you? And he said, well, my older brother is who he likes. My older brother is outgoing and funny and creative, and my dad just is crazy for that kind of a, a man. And I, he thinks I'm boring, and he's, not, he's never been interested in me, and I've always felt unapproved of. Well, in the world, this man has achieved fantastically, but to get to the next level of success, We had to help him do the inner work of leaving home, which was not a physical leaving home in his case. It was recognizing I have to stop being that unpopular son. I have to stop identifying with my father's displeasure and my father's preference for my brother. And I have to come to terms with who I am in the world on my own terms. Right. And, and pay attention to all the people who now respect me, applaud me, give me bonuses, want to, want to promote me, and make that my life now. So, yes. And, and we can do that even if the parent that may be an issue doesn't make any change in themselves. Correct. That's all within ourselves to be able to do that. Correct. Correct. And, you know, it doesn't hurt to get support, counseling support, or um, therapeutic support. And therapy, the, 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 the idea of therapy is remedial. You take something that is, and you explore it, so you can change yourself to go in a direction you want to go in. 
Right. That's all therapy really is. Now, it goes deep, and a lot of people are afraid of the dark feelings they have, and they don't want to look back and look at this or that and see actually what happened. We, don't, we do not condemn uh, parents, or uh, we don't condemn parents because parents only play a, a role in this process. The child itself, as it's growing up, takes in life and makes its own decisions, and th those decisions are very often aligned with the parents, but the parents aren't necessarily involved. What we do in terms of the executive coaching that we do is we take a situation, say a psychological condition like this guy that Judith was referring to, o open it up, take a realistic look at it, and if we have to, we will say, well, you see how that was, that was impacting you when you were a child by your own family, and take a look. But, if, but we also say that they can happen later or outside of the family. It's not just the family that's responsible. And then look at it, unpack it, take a look at the elements, begin to redefine them, and have the person co cooperate in the redefinition, and then off they go with a new point of view. Now, eventually that point of view may come to an end and they'll have to do the process again if they keep growing and growing. But that's all that this is. And overcoming the fear of being fabulous is really a coaching program. It's not a therapeutic program in that we go deep into the family history. We look at what people are doing now in their lives and, and the CDs will help them explore what they are doing take a look at the various angles and possibilities about what they're doing and come to different conclusions. You now have to practice those conclusions, those different new conclusions, but if you don't have them, you will never be able to get out. You'll never be able to do what we call leaving home, which we do not mean you physically move from one place to another. What we mean is you change the structure of your own psych set of psychic beliefs. Right. That's interesting. Something, and I, I shouldn't say this it's on, on air to Jim because he's probably going to tear it apart for me. But <laughs> I've, often, I've often joked, you know, about and, and tell people that, that are close to me and actually know me and, and, you know, appreciate the way I've turned out that a lot of the things that my family don't like about me, they cost, you know, because, like, I, I, have, I grew up in a family where men are more important than women, which just irritates the daylights out of me. <laughs> and we support you. We support that irritation. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and, and various other things, you know, if you don't fall in line and do what, what we think you should, then you're not, you're not acceptable. Right, and all this right. Stuff. And my thing is, and, and this is the point I finally got to, was I could either let that beat me down the rest of my life mm -hmm. or I could do something about it. Correct. And, and, and I said, so, you know, basically, if you really boil it all the way down, the way they were to me created the person I am, <laughs> you know, in a way. Mm -hmm. so, so you just don't like what you created. Okay, that's good, you know. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting how, like I said, it's very interesting how family and, and the culture and all this kind of thing really impacts so much of our lives, you know, the, and the expectations. Our expectations, our family's expectations, and, and culture and society has expectations for us. But, you know, it's not just the family or even the extended family. It's the area you live in. It's the sure. culture of the area. It's mm -hmm. the nature. It's the country you live in. For example, imagine if you had grown up in Russia 
or even worse, say in some place like Myanmar or Burma, as a woman wanting her own life, the, the culture would have crushed you. And, oh, yeah. and it would have just, or fact, imagine growing up in uh, um, Afghanistan as a right. woman who wants to be outspoken and wants an education and wants her own life. You might have been killed. So it's not just the family and the immediate family. It's everything around it. But where I grew up, it was heavily Catholic. It was heavily peasant. And by peasant, what I mean is these people did not have a vision of working for themselves, but they were very, very good at working for other people. And in a number of instances, they got screwed doing that. But that's who they were. So all of the values that they believed in and the values that they lived and the points of view that they expressed were just everywhere around me. It was like living in a, in a cloud of it. You know, the current uh, Internet cloud, my image of it is you go up in there and it's all around you. That's what was there. And you, we absorb it like we absorb the sun on our skin. We take it in and it has an effect. It's the same thing. So... When we say that you need to change, we're not just looking at that one area. However, the one area of the family first and then the extended family second has the most intense impact because you're with them all the time. And particularly as a child, you have to depend on them or you will not survive. So that's where the most intensity comes from. But it's also around, you know, the, bo- the, boys, the bunch of boys that I, uh, what we did, to be honest, I'll just tell you what we did. We, we got what were called cherry bombs, big red, red firecrackers that looked like cherries. And we would wake up in the, in the early, early morning and we would go to this Russian guy's house. And what I did specifically was I would tape them to the door and the door hinges, light them with a long fuse and run back to home. So that by the time I got home, which is about eight or ten houses down, they would blow up and they blew the door off his, out the back of his uh, house. I wasn't doing that alone. I wasn't the only kid there. There were other kids. That's what I mean. The whole, env- whole environment supported what we were doing. And we considered ourselves sort of adventurous heroes for doing it. But it was utterly and totally wrong. That's what I'm not recommending people go out and do that. That's no. right. Don't don't try this at home. <laughs> oh, that's I was I was picturing all that is when you used to jerry bombs. I said, oh, I know where we're going. <laughs> oh, I haven't done that personally, but I am familiar with the process. <laughs> oh, gracious. So so what about people that aren't ready? to be fabulous, that aren't ready to make this kind of a change in their life? Is there anything wrong with those people? Or we're, my, my thing is, we're, I, I don't want to come across like we're putting people down if they're not ready for this kind of change, because not everybody is. Not oh, everybody I, is I absolutely life. agree with you that, that there's no, no put down here. What we would reinforce is, if you're listening, and this doesn't resonate, you don't feel frustrated with elements of your life, and this is just an interesting show, great, congratulations, whatever it is that you're doing, fantastic. Uh, years ago, we had a, a gal that came to a group that Jim and I used to run who showed up one night and she said, I was just offered the role as the manager of uh, the uh, bank where I work. And we said, congratulations. And she said, oh, I'm not accepting it. And we said, why? She said, I don't want that responsibility. I don't want the pressure. I don't want to take it home with me. I'm completely comfortable doing loans. And we said, oh, good for you. 
perfectly fantastic. If, if you are really content and happy with your life, we congratulate you 100%. If in listening to us you are aware that there is frustration in your experience of life, whether it's in your relationship world, whether it's financial, health, work, money, it doesn't matter where, but you're not quite ready to step into a change process, we respect that. We will um, imagine that the time will come, as it did for Jim and me and Nikki, that the frustration will get too great and you will indeed be pushed internally to start making some changes and you know, we welcome you onto that journey. So there's no right or wrong here. It's a matter of how you feel about your life, what you want from your life, and when you do feel frustrated, then hearing from the three, hearing from the three of us that there is a journey and a path that can take you forward into dimensions of who you are that you haven't yet had the freedom to experience, and that is available. And for those people who are ready, the benefits here are the, the reduction of st- frustration, the reduction of that madness of feeling stuck and not knowing which way to turn, the freedom to move forward. Now, freedom has its price, and the price of freedom is you are responsible, but the freedom to move forward and the excitement and the adventure of the kind of life you say you want, you can have that. But the price is you have to let go of where you've been and where you are now in order to have that. Otherwise, you can't move. Well, like I said, a big part of it is being ready to, to make the change because it, it, it's not easy. That's, <laughs> that's right. Very, very, very worth the effort. Absolutely worth the effort. And you, as you say, you have to be ready to make the change and to go through the change of actually a change in your identity of who you see yourself being in the world. That's right. Well, and we need to see ourselves and and see that we're changing and becoming a different person. And that's good. It's good for us and good for our life. And when those changes start, that we do not want to give the impression, and you're not doing it either, Nikki. We don't want to give the impression that suddenly everything's hunky-dory. Life is life. Life has its ups, life has its downs. Some of the most successful people we have met, and these are very powerful, very successful people, have their ups and they have their downs. I can think of one in particular who asked me, are you happy? And I said, why? He said, because I'm not. And he was, well, I don't want to, the material side of it is he was worth probably close to a billion dollars, had international success and fame, liked what he did, and was not happy. So something was moving him to say, what's wrong? What's going on here? So life is not always up and up and up. It's up and down just like it would be any other, in any other condition in your life other than you get to have, to, you get to choose what it is, the direction you want to go in and what it is you want to do in that direction. And then you live that life. But I can tell you, for everyone listening, I can assure you that that life has so much more possibility and so many more rewards that you can't even imagine given where you are now because you can't see that until some of these blinders come off. The, right. the, uh, the opportunity 
that will await you is, is breathtaking. And again, that's what we mean by when you overcome the fear of being fabulous, you will, there will be options available to you that you could not have imagined beforehand. But I don't want to give the impression like a lot of people who, who have these kinds of programs give. And that is, oh, well, once you take my program, life's going to be fine. Life will be fine, but life is life. Up and down, up and down. Very true. The ups just might be higher than they were before, though. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, and I've got a program um, called Learn to Love, Accept, and Respect Yourself. And, right. And I thought people, I said, you know, if, if, you, if you feel that you're happy with yourself and you don't feel you need to make a change, this isn't right for you right now. Right. You know, right. Please remember where I am when, when you are ready. But if, if you're not ready, and what we did with that is, is there's 12 parts to it, and we tried to go in and find each one of the things that are holding people back from loving themselves, whether it's internal dialogue, external dialogue, body image issues, you know, being angry about things from your past, all these sorts of things. And we address each one of those in one of those parts. And the thing is, it, it, it could be one thing, it could be, you know, ten things that are holding you back. But you need to identify what the problem is. The same, it's the same thing you guys, you guys are doing with your program. Identify what the problem is, work through the problem, and then make the changes you need to make. That's simply true in most cases. For example, as we said, we work as executive coaches on Retainer at LinkedIn plus other independent companies. And and we work in the area of high-tech and computers. The engineers follow the same process when they are working on the stuff they work on at, 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 and their engineering problems. You get a problem, you look at it, you tear it apart, find out what's causing the problem, you change it, and then when you have a change, you have a different, a different approach, different coding in your system, you test it, you see if it works, you refine it, and then it works. It's no different than that, other than you're working inside your own mind, and because a lot of it is unconscious, And this is really an important part to understand. Because things are unconscious, by default, you can't see them because they are not available to you because they are unconscious. And that's the very power, the deep, deep power of our program, Overcoming the Fear of Being Fabulous. And that is because we've been through it with ourselves and a number of other people. We can be guides to point you in the direction of what's in your unconscious so you can recognize it and acknowledge it and then work on it just like I was saying the engineers do. Find out what's in there, tweak it, change it, and then you're off on a new, you're off on a new adventure. So the point yeah. is, the point is, Nikki, that it's important to have someone to help you, guide you along the way. So it's kind of like you're not just throwing an aspirin at it. You're actually finding a problem to fix right. it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yes, yes, that's a good analogy. Because you're right, you can cover it over with alcohol or an aspirin. or Some people work out at the gym like maniacs. They like it. But they're doing it because it gives them this big high, and then they can ignore the fact that a lot of their life really is not very satisfying. So there are all kinds of aspirins. But um, obviously, you you know, the three of us encourage everybody listening to examine, uh, you know, are you using an aspirin or are you actually addressing how you want to live? Awesome. All right. I hope you all enjoyed that very much, and I hope you got all kinds of great ideas and possibilities. And remember, if you want to go back and listen again or share the uh, podcast with friends, 
feel free to do that. You'll find a recording at www.lovecoachjourney.com slash fabulousyou. And you'll also find a link at readyforloveradio.com slash fabulousyou. And I'll be with you next time on Ready for Love Radio.